I was reading my Bible, studying, and came across this couple of texts. And this is when the Lord spoke to my heart. I don't say that to you very often because I know that some people just find that spooky. And I knew that if the Lord was leading me personally into anything, it was an emphasis for however long the Lord has for it, for working with men in the body of Christ. And here's the verses I was reading. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul writes to Timothy. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And it was right at that moment that I got the idea, you know what, last night, right here, in this room, and around it, because it couldn't hold it, the women had, what, 155, 158 women last night. And they do that all the time. And guys do it very little. I mean, there's... I'm sure there'll be planned outreach events. I don't mean that. I mean discipleship, growth stuff. And if I ever had the Lord do with my own heart, it was, Don, you need to do this with the men at the church. You know what happens as well as I do, even in the media. Uh, men are increasingly, in comedies and everything else, men are made to look like idiots who can't do anything right and are basically ignorant boors that just get a laugh from an audience. And that spills over into the body of Christ, where, where guys actually start to see themselves as, well, you know, I go to church on Sunday, and I'll give you a check and put it in the offering plate. And that's just so far from what God wants to do in all of our lives. And so, this is what we're doing. I want to talk to you tonight about... Integrity of heart, men made ready for kingdom use. Integrity of heart, men made ready for kingdom use. I hope I didn't push it, so I'm not blaming you at all. But I'm hoping in weeks to come, always have a Bible when we do this. Hopefully on a monthly basis. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 to 27. So I'm talking about integrity of heart. Men made ready for kingdom life. Paul writes... 1 Corinthians 9, 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And it's that phrase, disqualified. And he gives these athletic uh, images. There's something about being disqualified that's kind of embarrassing. I mean, better to run a race hard and come in second than to run a race, come in first, and afterwards have people find out you cheated. And that's how you won and you're disqualified. Now, Paul's going to go on to talk about the Christian life. I'm not studying that whole text. But this, this examination where someone is found out to qualify or be disqualified 
isn't something that happens right in this life, right at this minute. It's something that happens when Jesus comes again. And what we're talking about tonight, integrity of heart, is, is the area, if, if I'm going to be embarrassed when I stand before Jesus one day, this will be the area that will press upon my heart. And I hope I can make you see how it presses on yours. Qualified, disqualified, and that's where I get this idea of integrity. How people become disqualified has everything to do with, with integrity. It's a lack of integrity somewhere along the way in that race or preparing for the race, getting ready for the race. It's that lack of integrity behind the scenes during the training process. I discipline my body, he says. All of this relates to this subject of integrity. It may interest you, it may not. The most commonly translated word for integrity in the Old Testament is the word tom, T-H-O-M. And its closest meaning in English is wholeness or completeness. The word integrity is actually never used in the New Testament. The closest word in meaning in our English New Testament is the word that's translated peace. But it's not peace like a lack of war. It's peace referring to an inner wholeness, an inner completeness, everything held together properly, nothing at war inside my person. So the idea of integrity is still there. So that's the concept behind integrity in the Old Testament wholeness, completeness, integrity in the New Testament, uh, a unity, an inward unity, everything moving in the right direction, in harmony, a peace that results in peace with God. Even today, we see the root meaning behind that word integrity. Whole numbers with no fractions, we call them integers, integers. If you have things that are scattered all over the place and you pull them together, we call that integration. See the same word? When you have something that's relatively complete and it starts to decay and fall apart, we call that disintegration. You see the same root in all of those words? Integrity. And this is more than just a word study. I want to talk to you tonight, for as long as we have, about, about how things fall apart in a relationship with God. Disintegration, integrity, wholeness, disintegration. This is how, this is how something starts to fall apart in my walk with God. I have three points. I'm hoping to get them all done tonight. I want to take most of my time on the last one. So point number one. Why doesn't godly people think much about this pulling together and falling apart of character when they pray and meditate on God's word? Is Psalm 86, 11, and 12 in your notes? Read it out loud with me, would you? Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. 
I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. And the phrase that jumps out is that, verse 11, unite my heart. Unite my heart to fear your name. Here's David, and, and he recognizes that if he's not very careful, and if I'm not very careful, I have more respect for God's authority in some parts of my life than in others. There's usually in most of our lives one sliver of a part in our walk with Jesus where the Holy Spirit speaks and we're more reluctant to listen than in other areas. And so David, as he prays, unite my heart, Lord. Unite my heart to fear your name. And that's what leads to David's determination in that 12th verse. I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. He's not just talking about shouting or sweating or working up a fit. He's he's saying, I give thanks to you, O Lord, with all my heart. Let, Let all the parts of my life bless you with equal attention, equal obedience, equal devotion. So it's not just the volume of his praise. Like an orchestra doesn't sound good just because everybody plays loud. Everybody has to be playing the same song, working with the same notes, every part working along with the rest to form, remember, integrity in a whole. Psalm 119.10, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. How do people wander from divine command? I mean, how do we wander from commandments? We, we respect God's commandments. We respect his will. How, how, how do I wander from it? And, and the key is that first phrase, with my whole heart I seek you. He's reining in his whole heart carefully to make sure there's no part of it where it's, it's going rogue. Just one part. He, he repeats that prayer. It's honesty but it's a particular kind of inward self-honesty, looking inwardly, honestly. Jeremiah, God speaks now. You know these words. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. What does that mean? Does it mean mean just really screwing up my face? Is that what he's talking? Seeking me, really seeking him with my whole heart. Does it mean crying? I mean, there might be tears involved. Is that what he's talking about? And I don't think he is. He's saying the same thing David said, with my whole heart. It's not so much emotional intensity as it is inward consistency and honesty. My whole heart seeks you. I don't seek you more in one area of my life than in a different area of my life. God, whatever I'm asking you about, There's nothing superficial in my request. I don't want your help in one part of my life more than I want it in another. And apparently, Jeremiah says, as God speaks through the prophet, this means so much to God that that he only responds. Get this. He only responds to hearts united in their dealings with him. Now, don't miss what I'm saying. I'm not saying God only listens to perfect people. That's not what I'm saying. But they have to be complete in their devotion to God. They have to have hearts of integrity. 
Leroy Eames was for years vice president of the Navigators. Wrote a lot of books. He wrote one called Prayer More Than Words. And in that book, he talks about a prayer conference that he was one of the speakers at. And as they would frequently do in their meetings, like we would do Sunday night, they had people turn and pray with someone beside them. Eames could tell that the guy beside him wasn't used to it. And so he asked, what can I pray for you about? The guy teared up, just teared up and said, more than anything else, I I know I'm embarrassed to say it, he said, but I'm praying that I need to lose weight. I want to pray, pray with me that I could lose weight. That was what he felt in his heart. Eames joins together, prays, the guy's sobbing. After the prayer time, he smiled and gave Leroy a hug. Said he really felt God had done something in his life. And then during the mid-morning coffee break, Leroy follows him in line and watches as he eats donut after donut after donut. Now, what happens with that guy? See, it's not that he was dishonest. I think he, I think he expressed an honest desire of his heart that he really wanted. He really wanted it. But he didn't want it with his whole, his whole heart. I mean, a part of him wanted it and expressed that desire. He probably felt like, he was really sharing his honest heart to the Lord, only, only he was deceiving himself. There's another part of his heart that he hadn't given to the Lord. Do you see what I'm talking about there? Unite my heart to fear your name. That's integrity. That's the issue of integrity. Wanting something with integrity. So, right here, we all encounter a kind of a probing truth. We all have to decide, you have to decide, I have to decide, what what are we going to do with the voice of the Spirit of God in our lives? He speaks, and immediately you have to make some kind of a decision. We all have to decide we want, how deeply we want God's rule in our lives, because desires... Here's a statement. You can take it home. Desires for righteousness that just come and go are not going to change anybody. Desires for righteousness that just come and go, moved by something, inspired by something, but that just come and go, they're not going to change anybody. With with my whole heart, I seek you. Integrity of heart means one dominating passion that rules all the other lesser realms of the soul. Okay, Jesus talks about this, integrity of heart. doesn't use that word, but he means exactly the same thing. When he says, Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We're so familiar with those words, we can repeat them sometimes without processing them. And Jesus, in that little sentence, he forever establishes the condition needed to have God revealed to the soul. You don't have to go to a certain place. You don't have to meet with a certain prophet or apostle. You don't have to be at a certain meeting. You don't have to. That's not it. Jesus gives this settled promise that he reveals 
the, the divine desire and intent of our Heavenly Father to show himself to his people. The plain fact is, think about this. Think about this for a minute. Jesus never attached any external conditions to seeing God. I mean, nothing had to be contrived, nothing had to be manipulated, only one condition, a, a, pure, a pure heart. Okay, so if, if that's the condition, what, is, what does Jesus mean by a pure heart? I want to have one. I want to have a pure heart. Because that's, it's like what the psalmist is talking about with integrity. It's like what God says through Jeremiah, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. Integrity of heart, a pure heart. What does Jesus mean when he talks about a pure heart? And he tells us. He tells us exactly what he means, and he does it in Matthew chapter 23, 25 to 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He says, you hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind, blind, so there's something that these religious experts aren't seeing. So there's something here that's easily missed. So now I say, okay, I want to pay attention to this. I don't want to be blind to this. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, you're like whitewashed tombs, which appear outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, the Pharisees are not people who did absolutely nothing right. That's not true. They did many things very well, but they weren't people of integrity. They were partial in their honoring of God. In the religious section of their lives, they had all sorts of rules and regulations, and they kept them. But it was not the same in another part of their lives. See, the ununited heart? Jesus describes dishes that are washed just on the outside. He describes tombs that are painted white, and bones are rotting inside. In either case, the, the, the point is the same, the inner... The inner part of the life has not received the same attention as the outer part. Purity of heart. Nothing looks that bad, but things are bad. I, I think about that. So, so purity of heart means cleaning the inside of the dish first. Purity of heart is cleaning the part that no one else sees before you clean anything else. Purity of heart is making sure purity of heart is making sure that there's nothing on the inside of my life that would lessen your impression of me from what you see about the outside of my life. That's purity of heart. That you wouldn't be less impressed with me if you saw the inside of my heart than you would be 
if you see the outward things that I do day by day and week by week. That's purity of heart. You can measure it. Um, thoughts, attitudes, private devotion, secret sacrifice, deepest longings and passions. See, that, that's who you are. The rest of your life is just what you do. Okay, point number two. I'll go quick on this one. Integrity of heart is a choice before it is a desire. What I mean by that is there are secret sins that fracture me being whole before God. And if I'm honest, these things happen in my life simply because I don't stop them from happening. I don't make the choice to stop them. I made a little list. You could have added dishonesty in little things. Justify lying by calling it a joke or carelessness in speech. Confessing something to God that you have no intention of forsaking. You ever had that happen? You sound so righteous and earnest in prayer and then the Holy Spirit just whispers gently, but you, you have no intention of forsaking that. Unkind remarks about someone behind their back. And you know you've crossed a line, but, but you've crossed it. You can't go back. You just leave it. And, and, and here's what happens. Things disintegration. Things start to fall apart. Not fast. Little bits. Little chunks. Just start to fall off. With all of those things, there begins to be a drain-off of spiritual life that until I make those right, my whole heart... Here's the tragedy. As the Holy Spirit speaks about those kinds of things, there is no amount of Bible reading and, and, and giving and witnessing or anything else that's going to make this part right. Disintegration is happening. Those things have to be brought back. All right, so I've largely uh, a definition of what integrity of heart is. Talked about that. Warnings about it from the psalmist, from Jeremiah, from Jesus. We've looked at that. Now I want to look at, on the positive side, what integrity of heart. If you'll do this, if you do this, if you, if you watch your heart, here are the benefits of it, okay? The benefits of integrity of heart. How are we doing? We have 28 minutes. I want you to think of three words. They all start with P. I thought that might make it easier to remember. Prevention, protection, perpetuation. Isn't that clever? Genesis 20, 1 to 6. Is that in your notes? Oh, good. Okay. From there, Abraham, you have to jump into the middle of his story a bit. Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. God came to King Abimelech in the night, in a dream, and said to him, this will get your attention. Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Though so Abraham, chivalry is not dead, he lied. Now look, verse 4. Now Abimelech had not approached her. 
So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not say himself to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother. And here it is. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Integrity of heart. I didn't, I didn't know. My heart wasn't deceitful in any way. Verse 6. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you have done this. This is so important, guys. I know that you have done this in the integrity of my heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. That's beautiful. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Prevention. Step one. I want to say this. God will keep you. God will prevent you from dangers you can't even see yet. If you will make up your mind to honor God with integrity of heart in every area of your life that he speaks to you about. I, God says to Abimelech, I know you did this in the integrity of your heart and I kept you from sinning. I want God doing that in my life, don't you? I'll keep you from sinning. I'll keep, Don, I'll keep you from disintegration, things coming apart, coming unglued while you preach sermons and do Bible studies. I will, I will keep you. Nothing prevents future spiritual disaster like integrity of heart. Concentrate on doing what is right and God will keep you from trouble you can't see yet. That's a great principle to live by. That is the single most important concept to grasp in terms of this subject, divine guidance. You know how we think about guidance almost every time we look at it. Am I supposed to go to this university or that university? Should I buy this car? Should I buy that car? Should I go with this girl? Should I go with that girl? Should I do this or should I do that? And God, please just guide me. Show me what you want me to do. And almost always we look too far down the road and ignore the issue that's at hand. There's a liberating principle, and here it is. You don't need to know everything about God's will to keep your life in God's will. You don't have to know everything about God's will to keep your life in God's will. All you have to do is honor what you know of God's will with integrity, and he will keep you. He will keep you. Let me, let me say something huge to you. This principle states that the light I am seeking for decisions down the road will be given automatically as I dedicate the activities of this moment, this hour, this day, to the Lordship of Jesus with absolute integrity of heart. You, you, you cannot help but be fruitful there. can't help but be fruitful there. Some of the most famous verses in the Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. So life is divided up into two parts. He's saying the same thing. 
life is divided into two parts. There are the ways of my life right at hand, and there are paths that lie ahead. And the promise is, if I will focus my energies on the honoring of God with absolute integrity today, he will orchestrate the paths that are ahead. All right, let's move on. That was prevention. That's what comes from integrity of heart, prevention. Here's the second. I'm going to talk about protection. Psalm 25, 19 to 21. David prays, consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. And then, here it is again. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on you. So prevention was first, and I want to talk to you about protection. David recognizes that God's blessing on his reign has caused quite a problem, because the boundaries of his kingdom have expanded and expanded to never-before-reached boundaries. And he realizes that as your boundaries increase, so do your enemies. You're touching more and more territories. More people want a piece of David than have ever wanted him before. More people look to King David for protection and provision than he's ever had to defend. How will he do it? David, in that prayer, he says something significant, and it relates to everyone in this room. The protection of your kingdom, all right? The protection of your kingdom, your areas of influence, the protection of it doesn't lie in your skills and in the talents you've acquired or the might of your own hand or the size of your own budget. All the gains you make in your Christian walk are protected and maintained by, by integrity of heart. Integrity of heart. Find someone who's been around in the Christian life for a little while, who's been serving Jesus for 50, 60 years, and they'll tell you that very little of spiritual substance is established by how clever you are or how mighty you are. Sometimes men, I'm sorry, men, maybe more than women, get under the delusion that we establish our sense of worth by the kind of power and influence that we can have. But almost everything about my life that's worth beans, I don't have the mental smarts and capacity to orchestrate by myself. David said it, comes, it just comes from integrity of heart and that kind of walk before the Lord. And if I ever start thinking more about my image than integrity of heart, you get disintegration. Remember the word study? Things start falling apart. You, 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 can't, you can't hold everything that God has brought into your life. You can't hold it together by yourself. It's integrity of heart, the way we defined it under that first point. Perpetuation. 1 Kings 9, 3-5. 
And the Lord said to him, Solomon, I've heard your prayer, your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. I like the forever thing. We're talking about perpetuation. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart. See the repetition of this theme? Integrity of heart. If you will walk before me as David your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, keeping my statutes, my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. Perpetuation. Prevention. Protection. Perpetuation. Here's my concern as a pastor. Here's my concern as a pastor. I'm getting old. I've been around long enough that so much, so much for what passes as renewal and awakening passes off the scene as quickly as it comes on the scene and leaves people sitting there, sometimes wondering what happened. You see hearts touched. Sometimes even our hymns can give us this false impression. And I love the hymns, Showers of Blessing. Tom will appreciate it. I'm not picking on a chorus, I'm picking on a hymn. Showers of Blessing, you know, just scattered droplets. They come and then they dry up and the ground's just there. Now, here's how, here's how integrity of heart is related to the ongoing development of the presence and power of God in an individual or in a church. It's in that third verse. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built, putting my name there forever. My eyes, my heart will be there for all time. Note those words, for all time. And then the condition, for. As for you, if you walk, the words I want to emphasize, if I was underlining, before me. Walk before me. I told this story, and I'm wrapping up. My dad pastored in Prince George, British Columbia. I moved to Prince George when I was six. We stayed there three years, so this happened to be when I was probably seven years old. And we had a group of boys in the backyard, and we played together, and we had, don't laugh, but we had a club. We had a clubhouse, and we had a club. My older brother was chairman of the club. I don't know how that worked. I don't remember a vote. And if I wanted to be in the club, right across the street from the church, Parsons was joined to the church, there was a little tiny IGA store. No, co-op store out in BC. And I had to steal some candy from the co-op store and bring it back to the clubhouse if I was going to get to be a member in the club. This is what started me on my life of crime. <laughs> and I did. I did. I went and I, I just, little kid hanging around the store, and I grabbed a couple chocolate bars. Took it to the clubhouse, and I was an honorary member. I don't know how it happened, but somehow my mom and dad found out that I had taken this candy 
and they asked me if I had done it. And stupidly, I said, no, 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 I didn't do that. Went on for quite a while, and finally my mother said to me, Don, I'm going to ask you this, and then this is a dirty trick. I'm going to ask you this in front of Jesus. Did you take that? And I just teared up. I said, yeah, I did it. You would think that the tears would have been enough that my dad wouldn't have felt the need for a brutal beating, but there was still the need for punishment. But it was the way she said, I'm going to ask you this in front of Jesus. I've thought about that. I'm 67 years old, so 60 years ago, I still think of that. I still think of that. The problem is when you get older, the problem is for all of us in this room, nobody comes ever and forces you. I'm going to ask you this in front of Jesus. And I could just, I could just randomly pick names in this room. I'm not picking on you. I'm just as examples. So he could, he could come and say, Steve, I'm going to ask you in front of Jesus. The problem is I can live large slices of my life without remembering I want to live. I still choke up thinking about I want to live my life in front of Jesus, right in front of him. And I'll tell you why. There's not a man in this church who can't find kingdom joy and purpose and meaning fulfilled beyond anything he could imagine if we would all learn daily to live with integrity of heart in front of Jesus in everything we do. But we don't. And I want to close with another story. If you've been in my Christian ed class, you've heard this. I apologize, but it illustrates it the best. Picture a man. He's, up, he's upstairs in the bedroom of his house. He's the only one home. And he's sitting with his computer and he's looking up pornographic websites. Okay? And he's watching and he's watching and he's watching. And suddenly he hears the front door open and he recognizes that his wife's come home. She's got groceries. She puts the groceries down and she says, Hi, I'm home. And she starts to come up the stairs. What does that husband do instantly? What does he do instantly? You know the answer. Turn it off. Clear history. <laughs> Turn it off. Here's my point. Here's my point. He's, he's, it relates to that story with my mom. I'm asking you this in front of Jesus. Here's a guy who is horrified the thought of doing that in front of his wife. He wasn't bothered at all that Jesus is watching him all the time. Do you see how easy it is to fall out of the habit of living all of life in front of Jesus? Integrity, integrity of heart. There's people, I don't know your whole life, you don't know mine, 
I'm positive there's people in this room tonight who know better than to live the way they're living in certain parts of life, maybe just one part of life. You know better. The problem is the shortage of integrity of heart before Jesus. And what happens is, remember integration, disintegration, integers, whole integers, integrity. Everything you're trying to do for Jesus in your life, it's not going to hold until that is made right. Integrity of heart. Prevention. I know you did this with integrity of heart. I kept you from sinning. I need that. Prevention. Protection. Perpetuation. The ongoing sense of God's presence that doesn't just come and go, but a heart that's rooted in his presence. Living all of life in front of Jesus. pray. I know it's not Sunday and I know I'm not doing an altar call. No, don't panic. But Don, something you said about integrity is it speaks to me in a specific area of my life. And I want to, I just want to acknowledge that. If that's you, let me put your hand up just for a sec. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's half of us in the room. We want our lives to be whole. We're not perfect, but we don't want to be ignoring you in any segment of our lives. We want, we want all of our lives to be lived every moment in front of Jesus. And thank you for the promise that the pure in heart will see God. So take these thoughts. Find a way by your spirit when we're thinking about other things. Find a way to bring truth to our minds long after the evening has ended. You can do that. You can freshly apply things to our mind and heart. We want that. In Jesus' name. Amen.